our servers today, so there's our announcement for them as for everybody else. So we're going to close out with that song here in a little while. Um, we are starting a new series today looking at the life of the great man of God, Peter, the Apostle Peter. And uh, I'm excited to take a look at his life. We're going to examine him through some episodes of his life through the Gospels. And then we're going to jump into the book of Acts where Peter appears as a primary character. And then later um, as we get into the fall, we'll jump into Peter's first two letters. Um, our text for today comes from Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to ask if you would to stand to your feet for the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 16 verses 13 through 16. This is the great confession, the confession of Peter that Jesus is the Christ. Here we go beginning at verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some said John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Um, one quick announcement and then we'll jump into these verses. On Wednesday of this week, we're having um, our very first uh, prayer group meeting. So a, a committee of folks that are getting together. Um, to establish a prayer ministry here at the church. Not only will these group of people be praying for our church and for you all, but also they're going to be um, identifying events throughout the year where we can invite people to come in and pray together as a church family. That's this coming Wednesday. If that seems like something you might be interested in, we'd love to have you out for that. Information in your, information in your bulletin is there. Um, let's go ahead and dive into these verses. We'll begin at verse 13. Um, it says, it mentions in verse 13 that Jesus and his disciples went to the uh, city or, or the region of Caesarea Philippi. I've got a map for you here. And you can see on this map Caesarea Philippi uh, situated, is situated north of the Sea of Galilee. This was a city that was established by Herod the Great's son, Philip. Um, Herod the Great divided his empire, the Judean province, if you would, into three parts. Uh, there was the north, the south, and then the middle. And so Philip got the northern part. And so Caesarea Philippi, I believe I'm right in saying this, was the capital of that northern territory. Um, so this is where Jesus and his disciples go. The region of Caesarea Philippi was a largely Gentile area. The Sea of Galilee had a mix of Gentiles and Jews. You get up north of there and you're out, pretty much moving outside of national Israel. Um, it says that Jesus asked his disciples a question. He said, verse 13, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now that term, Son of Man, Jesus was his favorite self-designation. Um, it was a term that Jesus used to refer to himself more than any other term or any other phrase in all of Scripture. Um, I don't think, do I have my mic on? I do have my mic on. All right, it's just not where it's supposed to be. <laughs> I love that song. I was just caught up in that song. Anyhow, um, so when Jesus asked the disciples, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13, who do people say that the Son of Man is? What he's doing is he's asking people, who, who, who do they think I am? Who, are the, who do they think uh, I, I am? Uh, in other words, what is the buzz around town? What are people saying about me? What identity have they established for me? And so the disciples respond, well, you know what, Jesus, your instincts are right. People are talking about you. Verse 14, some people were saying that you were John the Baptist. Now, you have to remember that back in the first century, they didn't have the local evening news programs. And so they had no way to put John the Baptist's picture out there for everybody in national Israel to see. And so because of that, some people having heard about John the Baptist, he's been a very popular figure uh, at this point in history. And so they go and they see Jesus performing these miracles. They hear him teach and they just assume, well, I've never seen John before. I've heard a lot about him. I guess maybe this, this is the John that I've been hearing about. 
Other folks still in verse 14 say that you are Elijah. Elijah was considered the greatest of all the Israel's prophets, and folks were looking to him to return, literally to rise from the dead. This was written about in the Old Testament, at the very end of the Old Testament, literally the second to last verse of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5 says, Behold, I, God, will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So some people, after seeing Jesus' miracles, after hearing him teach, just made a conclusion, connected some dots between, hey, look, I think that this is actually Elijah come back to life. This is a fulfillment of Scripture. So that's yet another theory. End of verse 14. Still other people say, Jesus, that you are Jeremiah or one of the other prophets who have come back to life. So we'll call those theories three and four. Because uh, basically what we have here is that no one knows who Jesus is. Nobody's able to identify him. There are lots of theories. There are lots of speculations. You're seeing some of those. No one really knows for sure who he is. So Jesus then turns the question directly to the disciples, and he asks them, verse 15. Okay, he says, well, that's what people are saying I am, but you tell me, who do you think that I am? And notice that the word you in the Greek text actually is in the plural form. He is speaking to all the disciples here, even though Peter's the one who responds. This is the question posed to all of his disciples. Peter pipes up and replies, verse 16, I know who you are. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, let's stop right there and talk about that statement for a moment. Because in that statement, first of all, Peter calls Jesus Christ. That's a title. The word Christ is translated, for, or translated into Greek as the word Christos. The word Christos in Greek is a translation from the Hebrew word Messiah. He's calling Jesus Messiah. He's declaring that that's who he is. He's saying that Jesus is the long-expected deliverer whom God would send, and that this Messiah or Christ would deliver God's people from their sins. This person was the most sought-after, the most anticipated figure in all of Israel for at least a thousand years leading up to the time of Christ. The Jewish people have been looking for this person and looking for this person and looking for this person. They've been looking for their Messiah to come. What, for whatever reason, none of these people, though, in the crowd identified Jesus correctly. Remember, they said they thought he was John the Baptist. They thought he was Elijah. Some thought that he was Jeremiah or maybe one of the other prophets. None of those Jewish scholars in the crowd who were constantly and methodically searching for the Messiah, none of them came to the conclusion that Peter came to. Verse 16, you are the Christ. And then Peter goes even further beyond that and says, not only are you the Messiah, not only are you the deliverer that we've been looking for, but you are also the son of the living God. That is, you are of divine origin. Jesus is the God hyphen man. He is God in the flesh, the son of the living God. That is who you are. Wow. I mean, that's pretty remarkable. You think about put yourself in Peter's shoes. You got all these Jewish scholars around. You got all these crowds following Jesus by the tens of thousands. Everywhere Jesus goes, he's so popular. And here Peter makes the declaration and gets it right about Jesus's identity. Uh, Flip over in your Bibles to John chapter 10, or you can follow along with me on the screen. John chapter 10. Because what we see in Peter's declaration is that the professors, of uh, the seminary professors, the, the professionally trained Bible scholars, that even though none of them picked up on who Jesus was, they actually had the possibility that Jesus was a Christ, was the Messiah in front of them. It wasn't like that didn't even occur to them that Jesus might be the Messiah. That certainly had occurred to them prior to this. Flip over in your Bibles, John chapter 10. The Jewish doctors of the law asked Jesus, verse 24, so the Jews gathered around Jesus and said, to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, if you are the Messiah, just tell us. Tell us plainly. 
You see, the Jews knew about the possibility of Jesus being a Messiah. In fact, they even knew that Jesus was claiming divine origin. Skip down to six verses later, verse 32. uh, Jesus asked the group, he says, I've shown you many good works from the Father. From which of these are you going to stone me? They had picked up stones. They were about ready to stone Jesus. Here's how they respond. Verse 33. Oh, it's not for a good work that we're, to, we're going to stone you. In other words, he just healed this guy. It's not because you had just healed this guy and done this really nice thing for him that we're going to stone you, but rather we're going to stone you because you because, for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, make yourself to be God. You see, Peter's confession that Jesus was both this Christ figure and God in the flesh, friends, that was a well-known option that was in front of everybody, but nobody wanted to make that conclusion. Nobody wanted to draw that belief or make that confession. Back to Matthew chapter 16, verse 17. So Peter has made this confession, and now here is Jesus' response to Peter's confession. Verse 17, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Notice that Peter, or Jesus calls Peter Simon here. He has yet to give him the name Peter. And so Jesus refers to him in the name that everybody knew him by, a guy named Simon. Um, Jesus is about to rename him as Peter, but he hasn't done it yet. So he starts out, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. The word bar in Aramaic is, is in, the Eng- it means, in the English means son. He's saying Simon, son of Jonah. Um, this would be very similar to words that we hear from the uh, New Testament like Bartholomew or Bartimaeus. I mean, that's the son of, I don't know, Timaeus, or maybe Matthew, or Matthias. I don't know what that is. But anyhow, the word bar means son. And so he's referring to Simon here as the son of Jonah. They didn't have last names back then. The way that they recognized one another is they would say, like, Jesus, the son of Joseph, or in the Old Testament, Isaac, the son of Abraham. That's how you refer to one another. Uh, they didn't have last names like we have last names. And so Jesus is there is calling Simon in a very formal way. He's recognizing him by his full name. It's kind of similar to what we might do at baptism or what we might do at a wedding. We call you by your full name. And so that's what Jesus does here. He says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, a very formal statement, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. That's why you're blessed. Uh, I'm sorry, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. Um, In other words, you haven't, by your own human logic, by your own human wisdom, figured this out. God the Father in heaven, through the Holy Spirit, has made this aware to you. It has come to your mind because of him. He's opened your heart to this. He's opened your heart to accept and confess this information. You know, there are lots of people out there who, despite their collective wisdom and despite their great knowledge, they do not share your conclusion, Simon. But Simon, now Peter, bless you. In fact, you are blessed because you've confessed and accepted this truth. Now, let me stop right there for just a second. I got a question. I'm going to pop it up here on the screen for you. And this question is, it's a very simple question, not a trick question at all, okay? My question is, is Jesus talking to Peter? Think about it. All right, so he, he, he addresses him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. He says, for, this, for you didn't get this through flesh and blood, but you got this information because of my Father in heaven. So is, Peter, is Jesus talking to Peter? Um, it becomes, that's an important question here in just a minute. Again, it's not a trick question. Don't, don't worry about, we're not going to grade you on the way out the door. Did you get the question right or not? Uh, but everybody's got your answer. Okay, look at verse 18. Um, and I've asked the guys that they would not to bring this scripture up just yet. Because what I want to do is I want to read part of this to you in English. And then I'm going to hold off on a few words and read those words to you in, um, in Greek. Okay? It's just as, so that you hear it the way Jesus said it. Um, and then hopefully that will help us in our understanding of what's going on here. Uh, verse 18 reads like this. And I tell you 
you are Petros, and on this Petra, I will build my church. Let me say that again. And I tell you, you are Petros, and on this Petra, I will build my church. Now, what did you hear? You heard Peter's new name, right? He calls and he says, you are now Petros. You're Peter. Um, and he says that on this Petra, uh, I, will, I will build my church. So in the very same sentence, in the very next phrase, you hear Jesus use the very same word, Petros, but with a feminine ending, with the ending Petra. He says, upon this Petra, I will build my church. Now, if you go ahead and bring the verse up if it's not up already. Um, I make a big point out of this because there's a whole lot of controversy around this statement that's been going on in Christendom for ages and ages and, and ages. Um, here's the controversy. The controversy is, who or what is Jesus building his church upon? Who or what is Jesus building his church upon? Is he building his church upon Peter? Or is he building his church upon Peter's statement? Is he building his church upon Peter? Or is he building his church upon Peter's statement, his confession? Well, we know from a theological perspective that this would be a, in theological error to say that Peter is the foundation of the church. I mean, even Peter himself would disagree with that. Peter, in his famous speech before the Sanhedrin, before the Jewish high council, said in Acts chapter 4 and verse 11, he declared, he said, This Jesus is the stone, different word, lethos, that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. That is the foundation stone. He's declaring that Jesus is the foundation of the church. So if anybody wanted to say that Peter thinks he's the foundation of the church, even Peter himself wouldn't agree with that. Elsewhere in Scripture, Paul writes, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So again, the Bible is affirming over and over again that Jesus is the foundation of the church. So let's pause for a moment and take a closer look at these words. i got a slide for you here with the words Petros and Petra. Um, both of these words mean the same thing. It's the same word, but one with a masculine ending, one with a feminine ending. If I was to read this in English, the way it actually appears in the Greek, it would sound like this. And I tell you, you are rock, and on this rock I will build my church. Did you hear that? It sounded like he's talking to the same person here, doesn't it? Uh, very similar, if you were uh, a Spanish, uh, if you knew Spanish or German or whatever, I'm going to give you a Spanish example because I don't know German. But um, Spanish, in Spanish, the word for child in Spanish, the root form of the word is C-H-I-C. And then we put a masculine ending on it, depending on if we're talking about a boy child or an A on the ending of it, depending on if we're talking to about a girl child. So Chico is the, referring to a boy child. Chica is if referring to a girl child. The point is, it's the same word. It means the same thing. Both words, Chico and Chica, are referring to a child. And so same thing here. One with a, with a masculine ending, one with a feminine ending. Um, we have Petros and Petra, but again, both referring to the same thing. We've already established that Jesus is the foundation, the cornerstone of the church, not Peter. We've also established that Jesus is talking to Peter. So how do we reconcile this? How do we reconcile this? Well, here's how... I reconcile. I, 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 I've told you all this before. I try not to use the words I think in any of my sermons or I believe because what does it matter, honestly? <laughs> we want to know what God thinks and we want to make sure we're right about that. But there are times when, as Bible scholars, we have to kind of step back from the text and realize there's various opinions about particular texts. And there's times when we have to just say, you know what? 
I've spent some time with the text. I've done some research. I've read what a lot of other people have to say. And now it's time for me to say what I think. And so here's what I think. I may be wrong. I may be wrong. But put it this way. Nobody's going to lose their salvation because I'm wrong. I guarantee you that. Okay, so this is not a salvation issue, what I'm about ready to share with you. But this is what I think. I think that Jesus is talking to Peter when he says, I will build my church upon you. However, his intent is not to proclaim that Peter is going to save anybody because we know that Peter can't save anybody. Peter himself declares that I can't save anybody. So what I believe Jesus means to do is to establish Peter. He is installing Peter as the head of the church on earth. Jesus is the foundation of the church universal across time, but in the coming months, literally in the coming months, the the church is going to be launched and Peter is going to be the head of this church here on earth. And that's what ends up happening. I don't see how in mid-stride, in mid-sentence, Jesus can suddenly shift his intent off of Peter to whom his whole body of statements here are directed using literally a play on words of the man's name and then bounce in and out of, I'm talking to Peter. No, now I'm not talking to Peter. I'm talking to Peter. Well, no, now I'm not talking about Peter. The flow of the narrative would be disrupted. I mean, this is the moment when he renames Simon and calls him Peter. And in the very next phrase of the very next sentence, he uses the same word, I think, referring to the man. Um, Upon this rock, I will build my church. Again, I see that as Jesus installing Peter as the head of this new thing, this church on earth. Nothing more than that. Furthermore, there is not one single occasion in the scriptures after this event where anyone questions Peter's authority or Peter's role as the head of the church on earth. The disciples knew what Jesus meant. The disciples knew the limits of Peter's authority. I mean, Peter was not out trying to take Jesus' job. Again, Peter knew that he couldn't save anybody from their sins. Peter knew that he had to turn to Jesus for that to be able to happen. He never even considered exalting himself above his Lord and Savior. For goodness sakes, the guy was crucified upside down because he didn't think himself worthy to be killed the same way Jesus was. Now that's the theological response to this verse, but then there's also a political side to this verse. And so let me kind of share a little bit about that with you. And I think that drives some of why some people arrive at where they do theologically. Uh, The political side of that is because of what the Catholic Church has done with this passage. And I'm not trying to pick on our Catholic brothers and sisters in Christ here. That's not what I'm trying to do here. not trying to pick a fight. But I'm just going to tell you where the Catholic Church lies and what what they've done with this verse. This this comes from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. I've got a slide for you here. Um, And here's how it reads. The Lord made Simon alone, whom he named Peter, the rock of his church. He gave him the keys of his church and instituted him shepherd of the whole flock. This pastoral office of Peter and the other apostles belongs to the church's very foundation and is continued by the bishops under the primacy of the pope. End of quote. Here's what that statement just said. It said that the pope is an extension of the office of Peter as the leader of the church here on earth. It said that when Jesus installed Peter as the leader of the church, that he was actually establishing a line of succession, and that that line of succession would run through the office of the Pope. Now, again, I'm not trying to pick on anybody here, um, but is that really what Jesus was doing? 
Like when I'm reading these words that Jesus says, do I think he had in mind a line of succession that would lead through the office of the Pope? For me, just being honest, I think if we're, if we're being honest and we're being objective here, I think we would agree that that is a stretching of Jesus' intent and of his words and that we would be reading way into the words of Jesus, something that is never intended to be there. So for me, I don't see Jesus speaking to anyone but Peter in that passage, and I don't see Jesus establishing a line of succession through Peter. Um, and so that's our political treatment, if you would, of that passage. All right, well, that is uh, our treatment of this text for today. And so there's a lot more in those verses, a lot more that we could spend time talking about. And I literally was wondering, like, what time would we get out of here if I kept going? So I'm just going to stop right there for today. <clears throat> and uh, it means it's time for us to ask the question we ask every week around here. What difference does all this make to my life? You say, Gordon, Jesus was talking to Peter, right? Yes. Exclusively to Peter, right? Yes. So what does that have to do with me? Right? Right? Um, so, right? Everybody awake? Okay. Um, so we'll get to we'll, Let's talk about that. Uh, two things. First is the confession itself. Peter takes a look at that. Uh, let's take a look at that again. Verse 16. He's, Peter says, you are the Christ the Son of the living God. This confession by Peter, these very words, have been adopted as the confession of faith used by most Christian denominations worldwide. For example, when someone here at our church presents himself for baptism or presents himself to join our church, they will say these words, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, my Lord and my Savior. That is the great confession of faith. Now dial that back to Peter's time. Again, everyone knew that the option of Jesus as the Messiah, that that option was on the table. I mean, they had that as one of the possibilities of who Jesus was. And yet, who did they say he was? Some said he was John the Baptist. Some said he was Elijah. Some said he was Jeremiah. Some said perhaps he was one of the other prophets. In those statements, what we have, friends, is the universal denial that Jesus was the Christ. No one was looking to Jesus to deliver them or to save them from anything. What we have in those statements is a refusal to accept Jesus as the Christ, to accept Jesus as the Son of the living God. Here's why that's important. Jesus said in the Gospels, John chapter 14 and verse 6, He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. Where's the Father? The Father's in heaven. Jesus is saying that nobody's going to get to heaven except through me. On another occasion, John the Baptist, in talking about Jesus, said, John 3 and verse 36, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but get this, whoever does not believe or does not obey the Son does not see eternal life. And then from John the Apostle, one of Jesus' followers, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 11, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Verse 12, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have eternal life. Elsewhere in scripture, the Bible identifies Jesus Christ as the one way to heaven. Paul said in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, he said, if you confess with your mouth, confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he said, you will be saved. Friends, without Peter's confession, without our agreeing with what Peter said, for us, there is no eternal life 
in heaven. There has to come a moment in every one of our lives when we look to Jesus as our deliverer, as the Christ, as the Son of the living God. Without it, no one will get to the Father. If you're here today and you've never trust entered into a real and personal relationship with Jesus Christ, friend, I would urge you to think about making that confession. You know, the world loves Jesus. You say they do? Yeah, actually, the world really does love Jesus. If you've ever talked to any Muslims or read the Quran, you know that Jesus is talked about in that book. He's considered one of the great prophets of God, the greatest of which was Muhammad. Um, people of the Hindu faith and of the Buddhist faith, they respect and admire Jesus for his deep humility and for his self-sacrificing way of life. They celebrate him as an enlightened soul. Moralists say that Jesus was a great teacher. They see him as a wise sage who tried to help people get along in a tough, tough world. But in all of these affirmations, as in the affirmations of Jesus' day by the crowds and the scholars and the rabbis, there's one thing that's missing, and that is their confession that Jesus is anything more than an enlightened soul. That is their confession that Jesus is anything more than a prophet of God, perhaps just a great prophet of God. What's missing is Peter's confession from their own. So I urge us to join Peter to make that confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, my Lord and my Savior. Because without it, the Bible declares, we are lost to an eternity apart from God. Number two, the second difference that we make to, this makes to your life and to mine is that if we do make this confession, here's what we can expect. We can expect that people will be offended. If you make this confession, you can expect that people will be offended. Listen to what Jesus had to say on the matter. John 15 and verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Friends, there is no way to preach the message of the cross and be popular with the world at the same time. Let me say that again. There is no way for us to preach the message of the cross, to make that confession of faith, the exclusivity of Jesus for salvation, and expect to be friends with the world at the same time. They persecuted Jesus, he said, and because they did that, they're going to persecute us as well. Friends, we can expect the world to be offended and to persecute us when we say the same. Preaching the exclusivity of Jesus for salvation will not win you friends. Nevertheless, despite the cost to us, personally, financially, relationally, we are to preach that message, the exclusivity of Jesus for salvation. We are to lead people to that great confession because without it, they are lost to an eternity apart from God. Now, I'm going to share with you, maybe we won't get that next verse. Let's just hold off on Romans. I'm going to share with you a verse that I hadn't told the guys about in the back because, you know, we were up here singing and the Lord spoke. So I'm going to share it with you. It comes from James chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over there or just listen to the words. James chapter 5, uh, beginning at verse 13. And here's what James writes. He says, anyone among you, <clears throat> just one of those days, right? Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing song, praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. You know, one of the great benefits to us when we make that confession of faith and enter into that relationship with Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior 
is that Jesus says, you know what? I've got the resources of heaven at my disposal. And I want to come and bring those resources to bear in your life. And so I would like this morning. We're going to have our, our communion service here in just a few moments. And then we'll have our closing song. I'm going to invite... It's just one of those days, sorry. I'm going to invite as many... Because I, I know your stories. I know what's going on in many of your lives. I'm going to invite as many of you as would be willing to come and to bring your family with you. To stand here at the front. To allow us to anoint you with oil. To allow our elders to pray over you. And to receive what the Lord wants to do in your life. Um, let's bow our heads together for prayer. Most gracious God, we thank you so much for the chance to be together as your people today. Lord, you're not done ministering to our hearts yet. You've spoken some great truths into our ears. We've heard it. We've received it. But yet, Lord, there may be some more things that you want to do today. And so, God, we just want to declare that we're here. We're like Peter. We're ready. We're willing, Lord, to receive, God, whatever it is that you want to do. Lord, as we turn our attention now toward this table, as we remember your shed blood and your broken body, we are humbled. We have hearts filled with gratitude that you would show so great a love for us, that you would lay your life down for our own. Lord, speak, minister to our hearts, we pray. In Christ's holy name, amen.